Such people's efforts would be greatly appreciated. Allah Ta'ala out of His grace and mercy, Allah Ta'ala would grant them what they have been striving for. And when a person gets to Akhirat, and when he gets to Jannat, then Jannat is everlasting. There is no sign of any difficulty there. It's only happiness, only peace, and Jannat is everlasting. On the day of Qiyamah, it is mentioned in the Hadith of Bukhari Sharif, that death will be brought in the form of a little goat or a sheep. And the people of Jannah will be asked that, do you know what this is? They would all recognize it. Because Allah Ta'ala would make it such that they would realize what it is. That this is death itself that has come in the form of this animal. That has been brought in this form. That is when we know very well this is death. And then the people of Jahannam will also be asked, do you know what this is? They say, yes, we know this is death. Then death will be slaughtered. And then the people of Jannah will be said, Ya Ahlul Jannah, Khuludun. That now there will be no end to this. It will be perpetual. What you are in is perpetual. And likewise now at that stage in time, there won't be anyone in Jahannam but those who are destined to be there forever. They will be also told the same thing. Now it is perpetual. The issue is that dunya is a very, very temporary place. We are heading towards the akhirat. And we have been given this opportunity in dunya to acquire this everlasting akhirat. And for that, Allah Ta'ala has given us this beautiful deen of Islam. In order to get to this akhirat safely, the path to reach there is the path of taqwa. Person on iman and Islam but moving on the road of taqwa. So this person will reach safely to akhirat with the fazl and the karam of Allah Ta'ala and inshallah get direct entry into Jannah. This taqwa is a complete code of life. It includes everything, taqwa in every aspect of life. Taqwa is not only for the month of Ramadan. When the month of Ramadan will come, we will listen to the various discussions at that time that the purpose of fasting is to acquire taqwa. The purpose of fasting is to acquire taqwa to keep us with taqwa thereafter. By means of fasting we develop, we build up this taqwa and then live the taqwa. And, and until when? Till the last breath. In every facet of life. Whether it is pertaining to our ibadat, in fact, before that, 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 even ensuring that our iman is correct, our aqaid are correct, and then our ibadat is in order, and then we have the correct mu'amalat, the monetary dealings that Islam has taught. And together with that, the social life, all these things Deen has taught us, the perfect monetary life, the perfect economic system, which will take care of all the needs of everybody. Needs will be taken care of. It's a different issue. Somebody will have maybe some luxuries and comforts. Some may not have that amount of luxury. But everybody's needs, if the economic system of Islam is implemented. There was a great alim in India, he was, he had come into Islam in his teens. And then he studied at the head 
the feet of the great luminary of the time was Sheikh Ulid Mahmud Hassan Rahmatullahi. Sheikh Ulid Rahmatullahi was at the forefront of the effort to oust the British from India. And he had initiated the silken cloth movement, what was known as the silken cloth movement, because all the plans, whatever message had to be conveyed to somebody regarding the various things, was all written or hidden in the silken cloth and passed on back and forth. But eventually, whatever Allah will happen, that somehow this whole plan became exposed. So in any case, of the Mahavidullah Sindhi we are talking about, he was also being the student of Shaykh al he was also very deeply involved in this movement. Trying to oust the British from India because they were creating havoc. They were trying to annihilate Islam and the Muslims. So, because of his very, very deep involvement, this warrant of arrest was set out for him as well. And he came to know that this warrant had been issued against him he somehow managed to sneak out and he made his way somehow because many places were in collusion with the British. That was a time when the empire was like at its peak. They used to boast that the sun doesn't set in our empire. So he somehow made his way into Russia and he sought political asylum in Russia. In any case, at that time in Russia, he just got there as a Asylum seeker, political asylum is what he saw. So they gave him place. But while he was there, he had an opportunity to meet with Stalin. Those were ruling the country at the time. At that time, communism was at its peak. Subsequently, the world saw what its worth was, that it was nothing. But at that time, it seemed to be really the answer to the, all the evils of capitalism. Because capitalism itself is a very, very major flawed system. The flaws in it are extremely major. It, in a very dignified way, enslaves people. There's two ways of doing something. One is to do it in a very crude way. And the other is in a very dignified way. It's one person had come to the market to buy one goat. Uh, he bought the goat and he's going home. So now some people were timing everything was going on in the market, who's coming, who's going. And they came with their agenda and plan. So they saw, okay, this fellow seemed like he came alone and he seems to be some villager, simple simpleton. So this is our target now. So they observed the whole thing. And now this is what we say sometimes. There's one way of crude way of doing it is as it happened nowadays in our country. Somebody wants to do something, they just come put the gun on somebody's head, take his can carry on. So these people were very, very dignified, very polite. You know, to now give somebody some kind of shock of that manner. So they, three of them position themselves at different points in the road of this person. As he's coming along with that goat, he passes the first person. So he greets him very nicely, very politely. Assalamu alaikum, how are you, whatever. Whatever he might have greeted him. And then... He, after the courtesies, then he says, very nice dog you bought. The person says something wrong in the his head. I brought a goat and he's saying, very nice dog. So he just totally ignores him and walks along. As he comes past the second fellow, sometime later, 
The second person also greets him very nicely, politely, and how was the day today, and so on. He says, looks like a beautiful dog you bought. So now he still said something, but it was now very subdued. Because of the second person down the road, far away from the first person, and he's also calling it a dog. And now some doubt came in his mind. That by the time he came to the third person, the same story again repeated itself. That person also, after seeing it nicely and talking to him nicely, and then he says, wonderful dog you have. He quietly left that goat and he walked away. He said, I'll go home with this dog, I'll get in bigger trouble. I'd rather go home empty handed rather than go with this dog. So, in a very dignified way, they stole the goat and went away. But there's another lesson in this story. That this was the repetition of a complete falsity. It's a repetition of something that was totally wrong. But with the repetition, this person got convinced of something which his own eyes is seeing that this is a goat. But he heard it so many times, first time, second time, third time. By the time he heard it so many times, what his eyes can see, he can, he can take a qasab on it that I bought a goat and came. I can see it's a goat. Now he's heard it so many times, he's doubting what he can see. He heard it so many times, he's afraid that maybe something wrong with my eyes now. Likewise, we have the perfect deen. But this false propaganda of the West, calling deen various titles and names, trying to run it down in some way or the other, and the beautiful way of life of Rasulullah the perfect way of life, Allah forbid, because of listening to the propaganda of the West, reading their media, reading and listening to their stories, and taking interest in their ways, what was the perfect and what is the perfect way that we have, Allah forbid we are beginning to now look at something as if something better is elsewhere. That Nauzubillah, this is not ideal. In this time and age it perhaps, maybe that perhaps a thousand years ago it was fine. This time and age it Nauzubillah doesn't really fit in. That really fit in, this is all that same propaganda that is being. <coughs> but this is now that repeatedly the same wrong is said ten times. By the tenth time, this person is convinced about the wrong that this is right. So in any case, this person came up onto this aspect about the He had made his way into Russia somehow. And now he was there. His communism at that time was now, so to say, the champion of the time. That it was the answer to the evils of capitalism. It was being promoted as such. That was also another propaganda. So at that time he had an opportunity being there in the country to speak to the rulers, Stalin, whoever was there at that time. So because he was a well-known personality in his own right, and they knew he came as a political asylum seeker, so they one day gave him the time. So he came and he presented the entire Islamic economic system. He says, look, what you are trying to achieve, your system will fail to achieve it. It cannot work. But yes, the same objectives that you have, those objectives are noble. The path you try to get to it is totally, it will never get there. But what can get you to those objectives that you want to uplift the poor, the downtrodden, you want to make sure that everybody has a basic, decent life? The answer is in Islam. And he explained it in detail. This person, these people who were sitting around the table all listened to him, gave him a good hearing. After this whole 
discussion was over, the Stalin asked him, look what you are saying, everything in his place, can you present to me one model of this anywhere in the world at the moment? In other words, the theory you have told us is perfect, but can you show it to us in practice anywhere? There are so many Muslim countries around the world. So obviously there was no answer, because there was no example that could be presented. Now whether this person's question was based on sincerity or not is another issue. It could have just been a diversion. Because it doesn't matter if nobody else is doing it, if you've understood the truth of it, that itself is good enough to take it. What does it matter whether anybody else is doing it or not? If you have understood that this is correct and it makes sense, it's the truth, then you should take it. So that too was perhaps a diversion, but the reality, unfortunately, is what he has asked. That Islam, we can show it in the books, we can show it in the libraries, we can show it in the various theories, but when it comes to the Islam in practice, meaning every facet of life, then we are silent. We can't produce it. We can't show it to anybody. If some new Muslim comes in and he wants to see Islam in practice, meaning all the departments of deen, then we are at a dead end. We can't show him anything. But whereas in the time of the Sahaba Ikram, from beginning to end, Islam was alive. Because ibadat, it was alive. There's mu'amalat, the monetary dealings, that was alive. And whether it was mu'ashirat and social life, that was alive. And akhlaq and character, that was alive as well. In every facet of life, everything was alive. Just to understand this, that right to the last moment of life, they kept these things going. As Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu the mother of the believers, she is in her last moments of life. She is on her deathbed. And Abdullah ibn Abbas, he asked for permission to come. Obviously, this used to all happen with the complete taking care of the aspects of parda, of hijab. There would be no intermingling and integration integration of any sort. This is the so-called moderate Islam that the West wants to now foist on the Muslims. Through whoever. Moderate Islam is just the name. Over time there's so many different names and titles have been passed on. Anybody who adheres to what Islam is all about at one time was a fundamentalist, then he became an extremist, and then he became a terrorist. We are not talking about killing people randomly. We are talking about living Islam. So now, titles carried on being passed on. But now I said, okay, now bring moderate Islam in. What moderate Islam means? Water down everything. Islam stands for many, many things. You bring it down. Yes, salah, you carry on performing your salah, don't worry. But the economic system, that you don't interfere in. Whatever the West wants, the full interest in every aspect of life, all that, that must be accepted by all. Otherwise, then you are an extremist. Otherwise, you are not part of this moderate Islam that you should now accept. Islam stands for segregation. It teaches segregation between the genders. Because this is where a clean society can then prevail. So now, this doesn't fit in with the Western way of life. 
So now moderate Islam must be brought in. Moderate Islam is another name for now saying, or oh, there must be integration. Everything must now get mixed up. So that the same ills of Western society will become the norm in Muslim society. And which not are just hypothetical things. Allah forbid these are daily realities, very tragic realities. Of the, the evils that have crept in and the ills that have crept in into our communities which one time could only be just understood or rather heard of about in Western communities. This has become like an everyday thing. Where, where it came from? From the so-called moderate Islam. Everything must go. We perform our salah, etc. But other than that, don't interfere in our lives. We live Islam very casually. We are moderate. So in any case, Hazrat Abbas he requested permission to come in. So somebody came to Hazrat Aisha she is very ill and See, Ibn Abbas is here, he is requesting permission to come. So she declines. Why she declines? She says, Akhsha ayusniya alayya. My body is going to come in now. Now, obviously, a person who is very ill, a person is sick, then the teachings of Deen are that you should now say something that will be a source of consoling the person, will be a means of consoling him, make him feel a little happy. Build his spirits, build his courage. At that time, don't go and say things like something that will now break the person's spirits. So, one person was, Allah Ta'ala protect us, he was in a coma. So now his family is standing around there, his son is standing there, one visitor came along. So now the person is saying, what happens? He's in the coma. Now it sounds like a joke, but what is what a sick joke. So he says, well, you know, after a coma comes a full stop. Now what does that do to the person? That after a coma comes a full stop. So now what is he saying about what's going to happen next year? They don't have any hope of taking your father back home. This is it now. He's in a coma, next is a full stop. But this is because we haven't learned basic adha. We haven't learned this fundamental etiquette. So, the etiquette at that time is to say something that will lift the person's spirits, whether it's the ill person, whether it's his family, to make them feel some courage. So now she is working it up already that Ibn Abbas is going to come in order to console me in some way. He's going to say something that is going to praise me. Now we are talking about having Islam alive in every facet of life. Many a times when we talk about living Islam, is confined to some external aspects, which are very important in themselves. But that is where we draw the line. Persons ibadat, etc. Mashallah, that's excellent, super excellent. But there's an extremely important part of being within us. And that is the heart being clean of all the maladies of the heart. Pride, arrogance, malice, jealousy, not thinking of oneself as anything, not having any ego, not looking down upon anybody, not being vain in any way. So Aisha says, you know, don't let him come. Because he's going to come now, he's going to praise me. Now she is actually shunning the praises of people. She doesn't hear it. And not especially at this last time. 
And at this time she wants to keep her focus entirely towards Allah Ta'ala. Because she understands now that this is perhaps her last. And which was her last in dunya. Any case, somebody says to her, but after all, it's Ibn Abbas, he's the cousin of Rasulullah, such a notable person, a noble person, allow him to come. So finally she relents, she says, okay. So he comes. So from behind the curtain, he asks her, which is also the part of the, the Sunnah manner, that you visit somebody who's ill also, you ask the person, how are you feeling? So she, he asked also somebody, how are you? So she replied, بِخَيْرٍ إِنِتَّقَيْتُ اللَّهِ That I'm well if I have taqwa. If I'm living with taqwa at this moment also, then I'm well. Now she is so sick that she is in her, on her deathbed, but she is imparting this very, very deep lesson in this condition also. That despite the challenges, whatever I am facing, but if I have taqwa, then I have the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. And if Allah Ta'ala is pleased with me, then I am well. Then these challenges, dunya is a place of challenge. Yes, we'll ask for afiyat, but that is not the end of the world if some challenges come. But if there's taqwa in a person's life, there's the fear of Allah Ta'ala, the person is living his life in a way that Allah Ta'ala is pleased with him, then he is very well. And the opposite will apply as well. That if there's no taqwa, the person can be apparently in having anything that he wants, living it up like a king, but he's not well. And it will tell in time. There'll be turmoil in his life. He'll be enjoying outwardly things, but inside within him he'll be in a turmoil. There'll be no life in reality. So in any case, when she said this, that I am well, if I fear, if I have taqwa. So he responded and said, indeed, you will be well, inshallah. After all, and then he started off praising her, saying something about her. He said, after all, you are the wife of Rasulullah and you are that personality regarding whom the ayat of the Quran Sharif were revealed to explain your purity and chastity. When the Munafiqeen had circulated a rumor and slandered her, eventually after one month, the wahi of Allah Ta'ala came down and the ayat of the Qur'an Sharif were revealed. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِنْكُمْ لَا تَحْسَبُوهُ شَرًّا لَكُمْ Ten ayat were revealed. In explaining the purity of Allah, you have that great virtue to your name. And he mentioned some other things as well. In any case, he went away. After he goes away, Abdullah bin Zubair comes in, who is her nephew. So she says to him, Abdullah bin Abbas was here just now. And he started praising me. But then she says, How I wish I was a completely forgotten thing. Nobody even knew I came or went. That I had nobody even bothered about knowing that who am I. Now, this is part of that keeping deen alive. The inner side of this deen, that externally also a person is fulfilling the injunctions of Allah Ta'ala. He is 
doing what Nabi Sallallahu has taught, his heart is also filled with those qualities of Iman. Complete humility. Man The one who truly humbles himself for Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala will elevate him. Now, this extent of humility, that somebody is praising her, she is actually feeling uncomfortable about these praises that somebody is saying about her. What is the condition of our heart and in the, of her heart? And in that condition only the reality speaks. It's very difficult for anybody in that condition to make a pretense of anything. The reality speaks. Abu Jahal's reality spoke also at that time. Abu Jahal, when he was killed, before just before his neck was severed, he was already now dying. And the two Ansari Sahaba who had downed him, and Abdullah bin Mas'ud finally came. And he cut off his neck. At that time, Abu Jahal also spoke, but he spoke what was in his heart. What was in his heart? Full of arrogance and pride. Imagine he is leaving this world, he is dying. He is going to be killed, he can see now this is his last moment. What he is saying? He is giving advice to now the person who is going to cut his head off. He say, you see, you are going to cut my head off, don't cut it very high up. Cut it at the bottom of the neck. Can a person make sense of this at this time? His neck is going to be cut. What does it matter whether it's cut from the middle down or which way he's going to cut? He says, no, you see, you cut, don't cut it from very high up. Cut it from lower down from the neck, meaning. Now, what was the story? After the people were in battle now in those days, when the battle was over, then the heads of all these people that got killed, especially the leaders, so that people would be sure who is gone. These heads used to be lined up. Now why he wanted it to be cut a little lower down from the, right at the bottom of the neck? Because his head will stand high. So even after death too, he still wants to show his pride. So he's, he was filled with that arrogance and pride. At the end, in the last moments also, that's what came out. That was his kalima that he read, the kalima of pride. And a person whose heart is filled with this humility, because Aisha Siddiqa is going at that time. He's saying, look, this person came and he praised me. But, How I wish I was a forgotten. Nobody even knew I existed. I just pleased Allah Ta'ala and went on. Not craving for any kind of name and fame and recognition or anything of the sort. Totally humbling oneself for Allah Ta'ala. And when a person has this quality within him, that he's totally humbled himself for Allah Ta'ala alone, then anybody's criticism, anybody's comments doesn't affect him. He is only concerned at that time, what I did, was it correct in terms of my relationship with Allah Ta'ala? Did I do what Allah Ta'ala is pleased with? Or did I err? Uh, if I made a mistake, I must accept my mistake and I must move on. I must correct myself, I must move on. I must regard it as a very great favor that somebody pointed out my mistake to me. So Umar ibn Khattab an, he said to the people, رَحِيمَ اللَّهُ مْرَأَنْ أَهْدَى إِلَيَّ عُيُوبِ He's making dua. Dua for whom? Allah have mercy on that person who gifted me my, my faults. In other words, he comes and tells me what's my problems. He comes and tells me my faults, my weaknesses. So that is, I regard it as a gift to me. That he's come and given me a gift. That he tells me, look, you perhaps are not conscious of this, but this is the thing that you are doing wrongly. Or you are speaking in this way, this is not right. 
or you are conducting yourself in this manner, not that others, I'm not telling you of these things, meaning the explanation of this, that if we take it in our context, that somebody comes and tells us, look, how you're conducting yourself is not right. So we feel very grateful about it. MashaAllah, this person has concern for me. He's observed some weakness in me. I'm talking in a very abrupt and rude manner. I'm doing it so long, I'm not even conscious of it. Somebody says something and I show my irritation to the highest level in one second. I will just make it known how upset I am with the, on the most trivial thing. So now somebody pointed out this to me. I should be very grateful. MashaAllah, this person has done me such a great favor. He's like somebody is telling me that there's a scorpion or a snake on my head and I'm on my clothes somewhere. I'm not conscious of it. How grateful I will be. These are the inner scorpions and snakes which kill a person's spirituality, which affect his iman. So Umar al is making dua for that person. So in any case, these are the things that this humility now, this was how this humility spoke out at that time. Not wanting any kind of recognition, any kind of name and fame, totally humbling oneself, Allah tabarak wa ta'ala. These are the lessons that these people left behind for us. They lived this deen. They lived iman. They lived Islam. Not only in some aspects, in every aspect of life. Whether it was pertaining to ibadat, mu'amalat, mu'asharat, akhlaq, whether it was pertaining to the cleanliness of the heart, that their cleanliness of their hearts in the time of war, where there were some differences of opinion which sometimes even led to war, but in the condition of that war as well, the cleanliness of their hearts was more than the cleanliness of our hearts in the time of peace with one another. Because that too was based purely on sincerity. One person felt, one group felt that this is the correct position to take and if we have to give our life for it, that is it. And the other group felt similarly. But as far as their personal situation was concerned, on one occasion, one Sahabi, there is a battle now to take place. And the battle is taking place and then there is a lulls in between and there is a time now for meals. So one Sahabi who is on one side, is crossing the lines and is coming and joining the other side for their meals. And everybody is observing this too. And then he comes back. After eating, he comes back. And then when the battle starts, he's fighting all well, he's part of it. But this happened once or twice, a couple of times. Somebody observed each time what's going on here. Eventually they asked him. The Sahabi was They asked him also that what's the very strange thing? You are standing with those people, you are eating with these people. So he says, Well, I believe this group to be on the truth. Meaning their position is correct. These people have earned. Their position, they've made a mistake in it. But this is a group I believe is on what is the correct position. So I'm siding with them. I eat here, these people's food is better. <laughs> their food is better, so I come and join them. When he came to eat with them, they didn't chase him out also. They didn't say you are like a namak haram now. You eat with us and you come stand on the other side. They didn't say any such thing. Because they didn't think of him in that way. And neither did the other party take any objection. That, what, what's wrong with you? You appear to be siding with us, but you're going and sitting and eating with them, you're socializing with them, you're having meals with them. Nobody had any objection to it. Now this can only happen due to the cleanliness of the heart. It cannot happen any other way. That despite the situation that was on hand, but the hearts were still so clean. And our situation, even in the situation of peace, 
and outwardly everything is fine, even then we can't maintain such cleanliness of the heart. So this is part of the deen. And this is a very, very integral part of the the cleanliness of the heart. Keeping the heart clean, dealing with everybody with akhlaq, with the best character, humbling ourselves, being forgiving, compassionate, overlooking, for petty things, making a big issue about things. This is not the way Rasulullah taught us. The life he taught, and the beautiful example he set, this was an example of humility, of forgiveness, of compassion, of kindness, of uniting rather than dividing, in whichever situation it is, whether it is in a, on a, within one home, within one community, within the ummah at large. This is the path that we have to take. We have to make this effort to cleanse within ourselves all the maladies of the heart, to rectify our external selves, our internal selves, bring alive all these departments of deen, and then we will be able to live what Allah Ta'ala has mentioned in this ayat that we recited right at the beginning, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu taqullaha haqqa tuqatih Oh you believe, fear Allah Ta'ala in the way that Allah Ta'ala should be feared. وَلَا تَمُوتُنَّ إِلَّا وَأَنْتُمْ مُسْلِمُونَ Don't die except that you are a Muslim. Meaning a Muslim in reality. And a Muslim in reality is a person who has 100% Islam in him. Allah Tabarik wa Ta'ala give us the tawfiq. وَآخِرُ الْعَوَانَ رِحْمُ اللَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ